Chapter 16 of Among the Great Masters of the Drama. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Among the Great Masters of the Drama by Walter Rowlands. Chapter 16 De Jose. Quote, by those who have seen her, not one trait in her matchless representations will ever be forgotten. End quote. Gossip of the Century Has any equally famous actress a record as extraordinary as that of Madame de Jazé, who, making her first appearance on the boards at the age of five, did not leave them for seventy years? Born in 1797 or 1798, authorities differ. She retired from the stage in 1874, but, being as generous as she was gifted, returned to it for one night in October 1875 to aid in a benefit given to a needy actor and died on the first day of December in that year. An able American critic, Edward H. House, wrote of her in 1867. I, of course, had not the opportunity of seeing Desjose in her best days, but I am told, and indeed it is evident, that she preserves the chief characteristics of her style to the present time. What that style is, it is by no means easy to describe. She is undoubtedly a soubrette, but to those who are familiar only with the American or English stage, the term soubrette is synonymous with that of singing chambermaid, and suggests nothing beyond the boisterousness, the profusion and the riotous excesses of action and manner which are good-humouredly accepted by our easy public but which are, at best, very low methods of theatrical expression, although in exceptional cases, like that of Mrs. John Wood, they may be made effective and profitable. The French soubrette is a very different and a very superior being under any circumstances, but it was Desjazé who first conceived the idea of elevating her considerably above the French standard, as she found it fifty years ago. At the outset of her career, it was evident that she had resolved to relieve at least her own roles from their weight of heavy humor, and to decorate them with all the delicacy and lightness which they could properly receive. She was so successful in this endeavor with characters already accepted by and familiar to the public, that in a short time she had persuaded many of the best authors of the day to remodel their works to harmonize with her new interpretations, and presently to write with exclusive view to the development of the new and captivating style she had established. From that moment, the Desjazé soubrette 
was a line of character sui generis. Thoroughly French, in the best artistic sense, its imitation has hardly been attempted by actresses of other countries. In fact, to make it successful, the best natural French qualities of spirit, grace, and refinement are indispensable. The person who, in England, can most nearly approach the Déjazé standard is probably Miss Marie Wilton, although she usually finds it convenient to confine herself to a lower level. Some delightful indications of ability in the same direction were given here years ago by Miss Agnes Robertson at the beginning of her American career but she was addicted to occasional bursts of sentiment, an element which does not enter largely into the déjà composition. Perhaps, after all, the pleasantest illustrations of the French artist's manner have been given, unconsciously, of course, by Mrs. John Drew in her naive representations of young men and lads, a line which this lady appears now to have abandoned. The esteem in which Déjazé is held by the Parisians long ago ceased to be based on artistic considerations alone. It is impossible to overstate the personal fondness with which she is regarded by the habitué of her theatre and indeed by the public generally. Much of the tenderness shown her is perhaps due to her age. She is well past seventy and shows few signs of being burdened by her years, and more undoubtedly to the reputation which has accompanied her through life of her amiability, her benevolence, and her strict professional integrity. Her friends declare that throughout her fifty or sixty years of public service she has gained nothing but the affection of those who surrounded her, and they add, indeed, that this is true in a literal sense owing to her profuse charities in youth and her inability to resist, even now, the appeals which are too frequently urged for her sympathy and aid. Whatever may be the causes, it is certain that no one else upon the Paris stage is petted and caressed as she is. Anybody who has observed the fervor with which, during the last few years, every appearance of that fine old actor, Mr. Holland, has been greeted by New York audiences, may understand the spirit in which Desjardins' welcomes are offered but to the extent of their hardiness, even Mr. Holland's receptions afford no parallel. She is the oldest member of her craft and has been the best in her own line. In some respects, moreover, she actually remains the best. It is pleasant to review the incidents of a career so uninterrupted in brilliancy and popularity and which has never been disturbed from beginning to end by any circumstance whose recollection either the public or the artist would wish to obliterate.
It was about ten years ago that I first saw Desjazet, and she was then somewhat beyond the age of sixty. It was the first night of her resumption of Gentil Bernard, and half the fauteuils were filled with the best-known representatives of literature and art. Most eager among these, I remember, was Victorian Sardou, who at that time lost no opportunity of testifying his gratitude to the friend who had exerted herself so assiduously in assisting him to the position he had recently gained. On the evening in question, Desjazet's reception was an event to be remembered. Her first step upon the scene was the signal for loud outcries of welcome, not only from orchestra and parterre, but also from the more decorous boxes, whence proceeded shrill feminine tones agreeably diversifying the chorus. Hats and handkerchiefs were waved, and for five minutes the business of the stage was suspended in order that the audience might have its jubilee out. And when quiet at last returned, it was curious to observe how the house continued to beam with silent, though not less expressive, delight at the reappearance of the dear old favorite. On all sides little phrases of compliment and endearment were murmured. What grace! Younger than ever! Well done, petite! Ah, la maligne! Pleasantly conscious of the favor lavished upon her, she glided through the representation with truly astonishing elasticity and buoyancy. Her attitudes and movements were literally like those of a young girl. Her face, closely viewed, betrayed advancing age, but by no means to the extent that would have been expected. Her eyes flashed as brilliantly as those of her youngest supporters upon the stage, and I am sure that few of them could rival her lithe and supple form. Altogether, her appearance was that of a woman of about thirty-five. It is difficult to believe that her acting could ever have been more thoroughly artistic. The timid flirtations of Bernard, his innocent wickedness, his immature attempts at gallantry, the affected bravery of his soldier life, the jaunty endeavors to prove himself a man of the world, and the mischievous persistence of his last love-suit were all expressed with inimitable grace and humor. The faculty of inventing impromptu by-play, always one of her best gifts, was everywhere conspicuous, and was recognized at each new point by bursts of laughter and applause. Of course, it was inevitable that at certain moments some evidence of time's changes should assert itself, but even these were made the occasion for demonstrations of encouragement and goodwill. When about to sing a rather difficult song, 
she would advance to the romp, nod saucily as if to say, You think I can't do it, but you shall see. Then pluckily assail her bravuras, comically tripping among the torturous cadenzas, and at the end receive her applause with an odd little air of pride, indicating entire indifference as to the lost notes, or perhaps a satisfied conviction that everything had gone better than she had expected, or the public deserved. I really believe the audience cried, Brava! quite as heartily in jocose acknowledgment of her pretty vanities as in appreciation of her innumerable charms and graces. I have since lost few opportunities of witnessing Desjardins' performances, and within my own recollection I find no change in her. Her exact age is nowhere recorded, but judging from the date of her first appearance, she must now be about seventy-five. Fancy that, young comedians of England and America, who fade away and retire, either into obscurity or a new line of business, at half her age. And still the same jocund spirit, the same combined daintiness and breadth of style, the same exuberant versatility, as at the commencement of her history. Desjardins played youthful male parts even better than she did feminine ones. Bonaparte, when a student at Brienne, the Duc de Reichstadt, Louis XV, the youthful Richelieu, the Marquis de Lausanne, and the young Voltaire, are some of the characters in which she gained uncounted plaudits. One of her best performances was the Prons de Conti in Sardou's Le Pré Saint Gervais. The plot of the play is a slight one, merely consisting of a series of schoolboy escapades by the young nobleman who sets the whole village in an uproar by his freaks and gallantries. One of these scenes, where the prince has snatched a kiss from the village coquette, friquette, and, being indignantly repulsed, craves forgiveness, forms the subject of our illustration. End of chapter 16